We are continuing our series, as we've mentioned already, in Revelation. And it is, sorry, I'm just waiting for this to wake up. There we go. In Revelation chapter 2, where we've got in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have got letters to the church, seven churches, or messages to the seven churches that are given by Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, to John, his disciple, when John had a vision of him after he had ascended back to heaven, and John received this vision of the resurrected Christ in all of his glory, and um, Christ gave him these messages to the seven churches. And the, the letters or messages were for specific churches existing at the time of writing. But as it is also a prophetic word, these, these messages are for the church throughout centuries. And so they still apply for us today in the church, the worldwide church. Um, and it starts here to the church, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? And, and just to give a wee bit of background of Smyrna, not to be confused with Smyrnov, that's different. Um, Smyrna, the loveliest city in Asia. So um, it, it was a trading city. It was it a safe harbor. It was founded as a Greek colony. It had amazing architecture and temples. Were, it was littered with temples that were raised up so that as soon as you came into the area, you saw that this place was a religious place. The temples were to the gods, the Greek gods of the time. And the people glorified the city. They, they raised it up. They thought it was the best thing ever, like the people of Edinburgh do. No, sorry. <laughs> to repent of that later on. Um, no religion that challenged the Greek culture would ever be popular. And it was, was also really strongly tied to the Roman emperor. And the emperor had to be worshipped as God, as Lord. And that, that would be obviously a direct challenge to the Christian gospel. And so it's in this setting that a small but, but growing church were immersed feeling the pressure from the Greek pagan culture and feeling the pressure from the Roman imperial power. And it was there also a home for a, a synagogue where there was a substantial Jewish community and they were affluent. And the Jews actually had helped Smyrna to be commercially prosperous. And so this partnership with the, the, the Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews, they, they actually, um, the Jews were excused from, from worshiping Caesar as Lord because of this benefit that they brought Smyrna. And, and there was a, a kind of alliance going on b between the, the, the Jews and the Romans. And, and for a period, the Christian church were classed as a, a kind of sect of Judaism. So they, they were kind of under the umbrella of the Jews, as it were. And so they enjoyed the benefits 
for a period, and they weren't forced to worship Caesar for a period. But that was short-lived, because as the, as the Christian community grew, the Jews, perhaps feeling threatened, started to disown the Christians and started to turn against the Christians, and they cast them out. They disowned them from their community. The Christians were no longer under the umbrella of, of Judaism, and they were being exposed to, to treason by the Romans because they were no longer in that safe umbrella. And two charges would have been brought to the Christians at this time that they would be blasphemers because they weren't worshipping the, the Greek gods at the time. Um, and they wouldn't even acknowledge the existence of these gods. And also for treason because they wouldn't worship, they wouldn't hail Caesar as Lord. And so this storm was brewing for the church in Smyrna. But yet, even in that storm, there is a lifeboat. And it's to these persecuted Christians that Jesus himself speaks. And it's interesting, only of the seven churches that are addressed by Jesus, there are only two that have undiluted praise. Smyrna being one of them in their place of persecution. And he says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Christ conquered. That's, there's four things I want you to remember. Christ, say it with me. Christ conquered. Again, Hugh, you're just warming up. Ready? One, two, three. Christ conquered. Jesus points to himself as the first and the last. He is the Lord of history. He sovereignly, sovereignly overrules and controls it. He has the last word in history. He says, that will be from me. The last word will not be from men. It's from God. In, in, in a sense, he's saying to the church in Smyrna, he grabs it, the church by its chin. He says, look up. Look up. Look to me, who is with you. And if you remember the, from the last time we were looking at this, Christ is walking among the lampstands. He is with the church. The lampstands representing the church. He is with the church. I am with you. What would the church at this point be feeling the most? They would be dreading death. They would be trembling the ugliness of death. That death itself, it's an ugly intruder into God's world. It causes, rightly so, it causes distress. But Jesus points to himself as what? As the one who had died and rose again. He has dealt with the ultimate threat. And yes, Romans can bring the Christians to an early death. But the power, the, the only power they have was given to them by God himself. And Jesus had defeated death. He had drawn out death's sting, as it were. He had died for us sacrificially, and he had broken death's power by doing this, and he had resurrected, and there was resurrection from the grave. And that's the hope that is found in Christ, even in death itself. So Jesus Christ himself, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the all-powerful, eternal one, 
the one created life in the beginning, who will still be reigning at the end of days. And he says to the residents of Smyrna, the Smurfs, he says, no, I don't think they were called the Smurfs, sorry. Um, But he says to these residents of Smyrna, he says, I am the first and the last. Do you know the residents of Smyrna actually would say, because they try to exalt their, their city, they would say, Smyrna is first. Smyrna is first. And Jesus said, I am the first and the last. Smyrna is nothing in comparison. And so this is so important for the church in Smyrna as some were about to suffer and die, to hold on to this hope, to remember the name that they bear and whose example that they follow. Christ went first. Christ knows life at its worst and has faced the worst of deaths. But he has also conquered. Christ conquered. Continues. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Christ knows. Say that together. Christ knows. And it's encouragement to the church that he knows. He knows his people are suffering. He knows that his people are in pain. And the word for affliction there in verse 9 is literally under pressure. They knew what it is to feel like they were being crushed under a weight. They were disadvantaged. The the promotions, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, sorry, I can't really promote you just now. Oh, you're a Christian, sorry. I'll, I'll find trade with somebody else. They were victims of violence. Their, their choice to remain faithful to Christ led to their poverty. But Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He knows that they are poor, but yet he, he sees past their, their material poverty and proclaims that they are actually wealthy in the kingdom of heaven, where there is a completely different currency. Jesus is redirecting their perspective away from the worldly standards and reminding them of what matters more. And Christ hears what has been said about them by those who claim to be God's chosen people, but they're only Jewish by name, not by inheritance. These Jews that were slandering the Christians were no longer the people of God because they themselves were being motivated by Satan. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Either Jesus is our king or we are allied to the prince of darkness and his rebel kingdom. And so the Jews slated these Christians They threw them out. They labeled them as heretics. And Jesus says to them, I know. And that's so important. He knows. How does he know? Well, he knows through his omniscience. So Christ knows everything. But he also knows through his incarnation. He knows what it is to be weak. He knows what it is to walk in our footsteps. Because he's been tested in every way that we have. 
He has entered our affliction. He has entered the poverty of humanity. But he also knows because of his indwelling spirit that is in every Christian. And he knows everything that his people are going through, every burden that his people bear. And Jesus knows how this is going to continue. I'm just going to pause because my notes have stopped sinking. Pause for a minute. Turn to the person next to you. Just ask them, what have you found interesting so far? If anything. Okay, that's enough. David, stop talking about your sunburn. Do not be afraid about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And, sorry, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. Jesus Christ encourages. Christ encourages. Say that together. Christ encourages. Don't be afraid. What does he encourage? He says, don't be afraid. Be faithful. Notice what he says. Worse is yet to come, church. Jesus knows that their faithfulness will lead to more suffering and more pain. It will lead to prison for some and death. I wonder when they decided to follow Jesus, did they know that this is what it was going to mean? What about us today? Do we know that our love for Jesus could lead to persecution and even death? Do we believe that? 2015 in Oregon, someone bursts into the college with a gun. Stand up if you're a Christian. Be a Christian. Good, because you're about to meet God. Bang. Bang. Do we believe that that might be what it means? Or are we too comfortable? Have we forgotten what it means? Actually, is this the most important thing in our lives? Are, are we actually willing to deny ourselves? to take up our cross and follow him like Jesus has asked us to. Wherever it goes, wherever he calls us, are we willing to follow? The, the New Testament doesn't teach that God wants us to be prosperous and, and wealthy in this lifetime. God may entrust us with 
painful pressure. And he may entrust us with poverty because he is more concerned about spiritual riches. He may allow us to be slandered. He may allow us to be put in prison and to be persecuted and even to die for him. Are we willing to deny ourselves? What cross is Jesus asking you and me to take up? Is he asking you to stand up boldly in our E-class? As I know some of you have done. When the teacher is slating you, will you stand? Or will you shy away? For those who have stood, you will be rewarded. Know that. Be faithful. Don't be afraid. Jesus encourages you. And notice he also assures them of his sovereignty over history. He also sets a limit to their suffering. The term of their imprisonment is not decided by a Smyrnian judge. It's decided by the Lord Jesus himself. Ten days, he says. Ten days. And that's, uh, we're not to take that as a literal number. That is symbolic for the, a number that Christ is in control. It's for a set period. Christ knows the beginning of that period and he also knows the end of that period. And it's a relatively short number. He will not test us beyond what we can bear. Jesus is the perfect timekeeper. And it is he who will hold on to us and say, stop. At the right time, the persecution will stop. Just like it happened for Job in the Old Testament. God sets the boundaries of his testing. And Jesus Jesus encourages them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, I know. But even in this attack, God will use it for their good. Their faith will be tested. God will be able to use Satan's schemes for the good of the church. Jesus knows that this attack is actually testing their faith and that through this, their faith will be proved genuine and strong, certified. And so be faithful, church, even unto death. It is better to die with Jesus than to live without him. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Pause. Turn to the person next to you. Say, what do you think about that? Go.
Jesus continues. Be faithful even to the point of death, and, 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 I will give you life. Your, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Christ rewards. Say it together. Christ rewards. And look at that reward. He gives them the victor's crown, which is literally the crown of life. Anyone here called Stephen? Stephen, do you know what your name means? Can, can you? Sh- it, it means I'll, I'll help you out in case you've got a different translation. Um, crown. This is this word here is taken from the Greek Stephanos, which means crown. Hello, crown. <laughs> crown. It's a crown of life. It's it's a crown of joy. It was, a, it was what the Greeks used in their competitive games, and they would give it to the winners. They would have a crown of leaves. Uh, but the crown that Christ offers is an eternal crown. Be faithful and you will be rewarded a victor's crown. It stands for victory. Christians who remain loyal to Christ may receive, may receive a crown of thorns in this lifetime. But we will exchange that with a crown of life when we step into eternity. We don't need to fear death. The promise for those who believe the second death is not for us. But alongside that comes a warning. Because there is a second death awaiting those who don't believe and who don't follow Jesus. And it's described as a lake of fire in Revelations 20. It is the final judgment that is awaiting those who reject Jesus. How do we avoid the second death? Well, we avoid it by a second birth. Jesus says we need to be born again. What does that mean? It means accepting who Jesus is and accepting salvation and life from Jesus. And this is the imagery that Jesus gives for those who believe him as their saviour, that we will be born again by the Spirit. And that brings eternal life. What about you? Have you accepted to believe in Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and saviour? It's a choice. But he offers it to all. Will you receive Christ? Jesus' words came to pass. Persecution increased for the church in Smyrna. Perhaps the, well, the most well-known martyrdom was of the overseer of the church, the bishop of the church, in the 20, on the 23rd of February in the year 155. His name was Polycarp. And at 85 years old, he was a godly leader. And yet he was arrested and brought before the crowd. He refused to worship Caesar as Lord. And so he was burnt at the stake. And as the fire was lit, he was praising his Father in heaven. 
This is not an uncommon story for Christians all over the centuries have been persecuted and have died for their faith. It's been said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we know of areas, we were hearing it last week, where Christian brothers and sisters are being persecuted. And I've been increasingly convicted that here in the West, we are too comfortable. And, and we can easily downplay the suffering that accompanies the call to discipleship. That, that call to deny ourselves. That call to take up our cross. It's just a question. Here's a question. Are we not suffering for Christ? If we are not suffering for Christ, are we missing something? The American pastor and author in the mid-90s, A.W. Tozer, says of the 20th century church in America, he's talking, that they are the best disguised pilgrims the world has ever seen. I don't want to be a a well-disguised pilgrim. I want to stand out for Jesus Christ. Are we willing to let go of our comforts? Are we willing to, to, to be, be sharing the good news even if it might mean slander? Or are we tempted to water down God's word to make it even more palatable for the pagan culture that we are surrounded in? Do we have the faith to say to Jesus, look, my life is yours. Take my life. And if I'm, if I'm being really honest, I've wrestled with this. And I feel God has been challenging me on this. And I, I've been working through what this means for me. Because Mark Fife desires comfort and he desires safety. Rather than pursuing a life of sacrifice, my inclination is to go in comfort's direction. And I can so easily worry about what people might think about me rather than, than say what I believe God wants me to say. And if I allow that attitude to develop within me, to flourish within me, it will turn me into a powerless, lame fan of Jesus Christ rather than a genuine disciple of him. And it's as if in our lives we've got this tug of war going on. We have got a desire to satisfy self on one side and on the other side a desire to satisfy Christ and to live for him. Who's winning in your life? Who's winning? Has God ever got you to the place of surrender? God, take me. Take my hands. Lord, I want to do what you call me to do. Take my mouth. I want to say what you call me to say. Take my feet. I will go. I will go, God. If you call me, I will go. Take everything. Have you got to that place of surrender? Because that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Take everything, God. Are we willing to suffer for the name that we bear? For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do we believe that? Do I believe that?
Do you know my prayer is, God, I surrender, but help me in my surrender because I can't surrender by myself. I even need your grace to help me surrender. And if you're here this evening and you are currently suffering, you're aware of that suffering, you're aware you're going through a hard time, well, take encouragement because he knows what you're going through. He knows the pain. He knows the testing will actually strengthen your faith if you allow it. And he knows how long this testing will last, how long this hard time will last. He knows it will finish. And he knows when you are through the other side, you will be rewarded for eternity. So hold on, Christ says. Hold on. And he grabs you by your chin. And he points you to look at him. He says, look to me, church. Hold on. Maybe your suffering is in the battle with temptation. And everything within you wants to fight that temptation. But you keep wanting, and you keep wanting to compromise. But Christ says, resist. He comes alongside you and says, stay stay strong. The battle, it's worth it. Maybe your suffering is wrestling in prayer for others who are close to your heart and you feel like giving up. Well, Christ comes next to you and he says, I am with you with this. Keep praying. Maybe your suffering is in a decision that you've made to forgo a comfortable existence in order to live sacrificially. Your money is tight. Christ knows And because of your giving, you can't afford that new phone. Or you can't go on that luxury holiday. Or you can't get that bigger house or faster car. Christ comes along and and, and he says, I see your sacrifice. I see it. You'll be rewarded. And maybe your suffering is in how people are treating you because they know you're a Christian. Maybe it's with words. Maybe it's things said across the classroom or at work. Maybe what's done to you. And Christ comes alongside and says, I am with you. When they persecute you, they are persecuting me. You are blessed to suffer for me. A crown with your name is waiting. And I can't wait to give it to you. Christ will be returning soon. He will be returning soon. Do you know what? It it hit me the other day, and this blew my mind a wee bit, that we are living closer to the time... No, wait a minute. No, start again. Abraham lived closer to the time of Christ on earth than we do today. Does that make sense? Christ... Abraham, we are even further away in terms of time scale than Abraham. With every day, we're a day closer to Christ returning. I want to be ready when Christ comes. I don't want to be living selfishly. I don't want to be living for myself when he returns because he is returning. And 
Church, we need to get into this mindset again that Christ will return and have this anticipation that we will meet him face to face. Because when we forget about that, we start living for ourselves. And we think that this world is all there is. But it's not. There's more. And Christ knows that, and he wants us to know it. Maybe, just maybe, and I'm finishing with this, this is the time for us as a church. Maybe we are being called to decide our priorities. Christ is walking among us, among the lampstand, and he walks among us, and he says, will we follow him? Will we give our lives to him? He's this close. Do we believe it? Do we actually believe Jesus? As we gather, he's with us, sitting on the seat next to us. Do we believe this? I think it's a wake-up call. And I believe it's a wake-up call for me. And I hope it's a wake-up call for our church. Christ knows. He's with us. He's conquered. He knows. He encourages. And he rewards Turn to the person next to you. Tell them what you think.